this hour, we're going to talk to Neil Irwin of the New York Times. He's got this article, Recession Isn't Inevitable, The Case for Economic Optimism. And uh, Sean's super into investing, and you spent a lot of time reading on this, and you told me. Uh, yeah, the small handful of people, that I, they, they are talking similarly, where the, the retail numbers are good. There's a lot of indicators that go against the, the one indicator of a recession, which is that inverted yield curve. So the people that are really into talking about finances, really living it every single day, they're not talking recession. The kind of general media that barely knows what it's talking about is talking about recession, which is really not that surprising. Uh, I've got somebody backing me up on the fact that I always order the same thing when I go to a Chinese restaurant, but we'll get to that in a little bit. First, we've not addressed Sharpie Gate yet, and uh, this story has been around for several days. It's the sort of thing that has happened since the beginning of the Trump administration. These things usually have like a one-day lifespan. This one, because he continued to engage, had like a three-day lifespan, but uh, Howard Kurtz who I knew forever with the Washington Post as a media critic, now works for Fox, and uh, he took on the story and explains it thusly. The question, how did a black squiggle on a map become a Category 5 controversy for the media? President Trump took some flack last weekend for saying that Hurricane Dorian might reach Alabama, contrary to the government's forecast. That issue came roaring back yesterday when video showed the president with a National Weather Service map from August 29th, with a black line added by a Sharpie to include a slice of Alabama. It looked like it almost had like a Sharpie. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. A White House official said an unidentified person in the room added the squiggle as Trump met with his emergency team. The president has now tweeted another map saying almost all models predicted it to go through Florida, also hitting Georgia and Alabama. I accept the fake news apologies. Rather than apologies, he got a Washington Post report that changing official forecasts is illegal. And a CNN headline that he's defending himself while people are dying. And apparently with the stroke of a Sharpie, an attempt by the Trump White House to rewrite weather history. Somebody doctored this map, folks. And uh, and the White House is not denying it's the president. Some blame media hostility toward Trump. Everything he says and does is cross-checked and, and scrutinized yep. to reveal him to be stupid or uninformed or a liar. Others say he keeps relitigating every dispute. He's raging right now to anyone who will listen about media coverage, and yet none of us would be talking about his screw-up tweet about Alabama a couple days ago if he, somebody hadn't drawn that line with a Sharpie on the map. Trump is still at it, tweeting late today five- and six-day-old forecast maps. Just as I said, Alabama was originally projected to be hit. The fake news denies it. It was, well, a perfect storm. A press corps always on high alert for the smallest Trump misstep and a president who seemingly can't let go of even minor mistakes. And that made Sharpiegate a distraction from a major hurricane's destruction. Brett? Wow, when Trump talks about what are you all going to do when I'm gone, I, I, I wonder the same thing. There's just such an industry around the current Trump story of the day and uh, and keeping that going, which makes it so exciting. It's interesting psychology on his part of why he wouldn't have just in the very beginning said, oh, or early projections said Alabama. That's not Alabama anymore. Okay, you know, my bad. That would have been the end of it. As opposed to somebody, him, who, making that Sharpie mark on the map. I like the Washington Post saying, doctoring official weather maps is against the law. Impeach. (laughs) That's hilarious. Oh, my God. So, clearly, he saw the initial reports of the hurricane last week that mentioned Alabama. 
that information was old by the time he got to the map or tweeted or whatever. And then, like I said, instead of just saying, oh, it's not Alabama anymore, it's, you know, it's turned a different direction. Somebody, him, whoever changed the map to try to cover that up. Then he continued to put out the maps yesterday. You're and the White the, House. You can't print up a new map. <sighs> you got to Sharpie it. <laughs> wow. That's something. And then, as uh, Howard Kurtz pointed out there, as much focus on that, maybe more focus on a lot of news channels than the devastation of the hurricane and, and what is being done about it and what's not being done about uh, the the disaster relief and all that sort of thing. But just, wow, just the stuff that goes on in the uh, the, 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 the current landscape of everything. Hilarious. Um, Jack, I order the same thing at restaurants every single time because I'm worried about getting something not as good or regretting the whole meal. I don't have that. I just I don't I don't regret meals. Food is not that important to me. If I got a meal that wasn't the greatest thing I ever had, I don't, I'll be all right. I just I always order sweet and sour pork at a Chinese restaurant because I liked it the it first w- time I had it, and so fine. That's what I'll eat every time. It, it works. You've never had it and been like, well, I don't like that anymore. No, that's never happened. And there might be other things just as good or better. I don't care. This is good <laughs> enough. Just food is not that big a deal to me. But this person says, I've been ordering chicken parm at Olive Garden for twenty five years. And nothing else. That's a good dish. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is good. It is good. At the Olive Garden, you got your go-to, your one thing. As I think about it, every restaurant every restaurant I go to, Black Bear Diner, which is a breakfast diner if you don't live where they have black bears, I always get the chicken fried steak with hash browns, wheat toast, eggs over easy. Always. Every time. Got it the first time I was ever there. Do I've gotten st- it every single time. Do you still find yourself going for the menu for some reason, or do no. you not even look no, at No, I don't okay. even look at menus. I don't look at menus at almost, unless I've never been to the restaurant. I don't need a menu. I know what I want. I'm, yeah, I'm not going to waste my time with other options. What am I in the mood for? I don't even know what that freaking means when people <laughs> say that. What am I in the mood for? I'm in the mood for eating. That's why I'm at a restaurant. I'm going to order what I like, and we're going to be done, and then we're going to get out of here. That's my eating experience. Bunch of flavor chasers. Get out of here. <laughs> oh, boy. So as I mentioned later in the hour, a recession isn't inevitable. I hope this news can get out there a lot because I worry about us talking ourselves into a recession, which would not be good for anyone. Uh, some reports out on what's going to be on the new iPhone, what is or isn't going to be on the new iPhones, and why millennials might be drinking more, among other things, on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. And I just sent you a video you should post at our website. Have you seen the guy catch the dude's cell phone on the on the roller coaster? That is cool. Amazing uh, that yeah, he did that. Roller coaster's going real fast and uh and some guy loses his cell phone and dude behind him grabs out of him in there. Uh roller coaster There's was a report- video of it. Was reportedly going eighty miles an hour Ooh, at that point. That's too fast. That's too fast. Uh, later this hour, a New York Times reporter on how a recession isn't inevitable. Good news that I that I hope we can uh, get out and, and quit talking ourselves into a recession. Haven't talked about how LeBron James wants to copyright the term Taco Tuesday. I didn't know that was a thing or uh, that anybody hadn't copyrighted Taco Tuesday. But a number of restaurant chains are really worried about that because they do Taco Tuesdays. And, uh, and LeBron James is going to copyright it. 
Uh, maybe we if can LeBron ask. James ruins Taco Tuesdays at some of my uh, Mexican eateries, right. I'm going to be furious. Um, perhaps we can ask our financial guy about that. <laughs> Why are millennials drinking more? It has been a story for uh, some time that uh, Gen X is actually drinking less than previous generations. Having sex less, getting pregnant less, drinking less, they drive less, so they're less driving this everything that's associated with driving. It's an interesting generation, that Generation X. And, you know, higher levels of anxiety and depression and suicide and a whole bunch of other stuff that go along with that. But um, millennials are actually drinking more, and they think they've nailed down why that is. Here's a hint. They're short and loud, says this reporter. Yes, it's your kids. That's what's making you drink more as a millennial. The oldest millennials are 38, roughly. Um... I don't know what the youngest millennials are. 24? Is that right? Uh, Somewhere in that range. 24 to 38 is roughly a millennial right now. Yes, kids is what's making you drink. Uh, We we believe that's what's driving it is the increase in stress. Life is just more stressful for them, so they are drinking more. It'll be interesting to see that if as Generation Z ages, assuming they have kids, and that might be an assumption you can't make, yeah, as Generation Z ages and has kids, will life get more stressful for them and they start drinking more? Too early to tell. But we've definitely seen that with millennials, which was a non-drinking group of people until they got old enough to have kids. Might just be the workplace too. Not not just kids. You're getting at the age when you're you're fully engaged into a career and uh, and and life isn't just you know fun all the time. And you start thinking about, geez, am I going to have enough money for later? And maybe some health costs and problems, just all the things that happen with life as you get older. It might make you seek the bottle. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. My kids, my, my youngest son is super into Legos, as I've mentioned before, like obsessed with Legos. And, and I don't, I mean, like a medically obsessed. He's got obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, and and one of his outlets is Legos, but he's super into Legos, and he makes all these little Lego characters. If you haven't played with Legos in years, you might not realize but that there's Lego people. You can go to the Lego store at the mall, and they've got a big bin there, and for $10, you can assemble three Lego people for $10. Is it like Build-A-Bear for Lego? You yeah. just kind of assemble and it you, there? And yeah. you pick a uh, you pick a, uh, upper body, legs, um, a hair or hat, and one accessory. So you might get a Viking hat and an axe, and uh, and pants with boots and uh, and you know a coat can for you, the top. Or can whatever. you do gym guy who ignores leg day, where you get like a really big you torso and do, little skinny legs? You can do practically anything. And then my youngest son develops backstories for each of these people, and then awesome. he's got he's got these he's got I don't know like a hundred of them on a on a table, and he'll go through and he'll tell the backstory for each of them. Last night he was saying this guy never watches the news. He's about the big picture. He doesn't care about what's going on today. Today he's only about the big picture. And I thought, well, that's an interesting backstory for that little Lego guy. And then the next guy he said, this one's lactose intolerant. He can't eat any cheese. Oh, that's really unfortunate. <laughs> cheese is delicious. I don't know why he has a backstory for a Lego guy that he's lactose intolerant, but that's these are really three dimensional characters he's making. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Really. There's shows that I watch that have less developed characters. <laughs> I don't know what is going on there. Oh, uh, boy. Um, if you are a, uh, a millennial and you are drinking more and you have a reason why, you can text us, 415-295-KFTC, 415-295-KFTC. Well, it seems that a lot of the things that were discussed as Generation Blank isn't doing anymore 
is more of they're just doing it later than the previous generations. Which would make sense if you look at the fact that everything has been delayed a little later. The, the leaving the house, starting life, serious about your job, serious about relationships is happening later. So, yeah. And it, it works on the back end, too. Life expend- expectancy has is, sure. is huge now. And, and I wonder when we if we ever adjust accordingly, uh, legally speaking, at what age you're an adult. All, it, it almost seems like human beings are telling us No, I'm not an adult until I'm like 27. Quit calling me an adult at 18. It would seem that humans are screaming that very loudly. And I wonder if we change our laws to to accommodate that in any way or or any of our structures of society. Um, Or maybe we can just get these people to grow up. Well, exactly. So you 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 can scream at the glacier and tell it to stop. Or you can just recognize that for whatever reason, and I'm not exactly sure what it is. I don't know if it's chemicals in the water or just life expectancy, like Sean said, or, or what cultural changes that happen throughout history. But it is changing, and you can scream all you want and say maybe it's unfair. It shouldn't be. But my parents will, were full-grown in their careers having kids adults when they were 21, and that is not the case now. It just isn't. I think I've finally figured out I didn't figure it out. I saw an analyst tell me. I think I uh, uh, finally know why the Taliban's blowing up things in Afghanistan. I just saw a news report on the TV. They they blew something up again the other day, killed a whole bunch of people. Just just horrifying. There's video of the guy driving a truck up to one of those big cement truck barriers, and he just basically pushes that out of the way with his truck and then drives into the where the people are and Gosh. sets off his bomb and blows up a whole bunch of people. But I was asking the question yesterday, and Joe and I were discussing it. I wondered why, if you're having negotiations with the United States, and if you're reading the newspapers and watching the news, you realize that the United States wants out of here. Why would you be blowing stuff up when you might derail things and cause people to think, ah, maybe we shouldn't leave? I would think you'd want to keep it cool and quiet and just let us get out of there, and then you're going to take over the country. Here's the reason. Years ago, when I read the book Charlie's Charlie Wilson's War, I came in raving about it because it's it was it was a new story to me on how this uh, this congressman Charlie Wilson got the United States involved in supporting the uh, Afghan rebels against the Soviet Union in the eighties. And this story flew under the radar mostly. We, the CIA, with the help of basically one congressman, funneled tons of money to actually Bin Laden and his friends because Bin Laden was involved in this. And taken on the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union had invaded Afghanistan, and I think it was 79. And we were really worried about them taking over the Middle East. We funded the Afghans, gave them tons of uh, money, and in specific, rocket-propelled grenades that could bring down helicopters and planes. That was the big thing. And and we're able to drive the Soviet Union out. But because we kept this story secret, most people in the United States didn't know what was going on. It was run by the CIA. It wasn't until that book and movie came out that people were really aware of what happened. The uh, people that were, were going to go on to become the Taliban and Al-Qaeda were able to tell this story about, look how amazing we are. We drove out the Soviet Union, one of the most powerful militaries in the world. We ourselves, we're such badass fighters here in Afghanistan. We drove out the Soviet Union. Well, they want to be able to, and and that narrative helps you recruit recruit young fighters, and you're all about establishing your caliphate and the Muslim take over the world and all that sort of stuff. They want to be able to tell that narrative by driving the United States out. So they don't want a negotiated peace in which it looks like a bunch of Taliban guys sat down with some American guys around a conference 
table and signed pens, uh, got out pens and signed negotiated agreements. They want it to look like they blew up so much stuff that they actually defeated us and drove us out of Afghanistan so that they have that story to tell for decades, like they told the story about driving the Soviet Union out of Afghanistan. And that's why they're blowing crap up. I shouldn't say crap up. They're blowing up buildings and stuff. They're also killing a lot of people. That's why they're they're, they're doing these horrifying suicide bombings right at the time the negotiations are going on. They want to make it look like to the people they want to recruit that they drove the baddest military in the world out of their country because they're so strong. And and they've got Allah on their side. Allah's on their side to fight the the great Satan. So that's what's going on there. Um, what do you have coming up in your news, Marsha Phillips? Well, we've got another major showdown between the Trump administration and California that will have national implications. Got a powerful potential third-party presidential candidate making a decision on whether or not to run. Really? Who? Okay, I haven't heard this. And we oh, got really? significant? This could be a big deal? You absolutely knew about this. Yep. Okay. okay. Yeah. And we've got very good news for meat eaters, bad news for vegetarians. Coming up. Bad news for meat eaters? No. no. Good, Good news, news for meat eaters. eaters. Okay. Bad news for vegetarians. Okay, I think I know the story you're talking about. Yep. And I heard this story yesterday, and yep. I was actually doing this in my car. The <laughs> hip, look, I win. Hip, yeah, hip, vegetarians, hip, or as I call them, food chain deniers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm excited about this story. Anytime that story comes out, I cheer there you as go. a meat eater. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Boy, um, uh, fun stuff we're talking about. Anyway, got a reporter from the New York Times coming up, Neil Irwin, about the recession is not inevitable. I love this story. Yeah. I don't want the media to talk us into a recession. Right. And here's somebody saying, whoa, 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 slow down. Things might be fine. Let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. You mean that reverse influx curve that everybody's been so concerned about really is that not that out, big a deal? Well, it was, it, we knew within hours. Yeah. I mean, people Googled it, and we knew within hours right. that it wasn't. It was as wrong, it was wrong as often as it was right, but still the media talked about still is talking about this possible recession, all based on that story. Right. It's weird. Meanwhile, the Trump administration's now moving to accelerate new tailpipe emission rules in an attempt to strike back at California for cutting a side deal with some car makers setting standards tougher than those proposed by the administration. Now the move would effectively revoke part of California's authority to set its own emissions and fuel economy standards. An official who's familiar with the regulatory process says the EPA is preparing paperwork for the White House that would set a single national standard for fuel economy. Now, car makers are worried the administration efforts is going to set up a protracted legal battle between the federal government and the nation's most populous state, which would then force manufacturers to meet two sets of emission standards for selling cars and trucks in the U.S. Yeah, I don't remember if cars were ever that way. Motorcycles were that way for a long time, where there were motorcycles that were, uh, there was the non-California version for the other 49 states, and then there was the California version. The California version was always slower and quieter and got... Better gas mileage. So if you drive a less a, fun, in other words. So if you drive a non-California <laughs> version across the state line into California, do they just immediately arrest you? <laughs> but but so what has happened over time is, if California has strict guidelines, then you know a lot of manufacturers think, well, we can't afford to make two different kinds. So we'll make a kind that 
that uh, fits California standards, even though the rest of the United States doesn't ask for that. That is the sort of power the biggest state in the union has uh, over lots of different manufacturers. Right. And there's there's examples of all kinds of industries where that's the case. The California standards end up being the nation's standards. Because if I'm going to have to make, I'll use a stupid one, toothbrushes that fit, that fit California's guidelines, I might as well make one toothbrush that then sell to everybody. Right. And then don't you go, though, to the uh, the higher standard? I mean, right. Yeah. yeah. So exactly. So you California go to the most strict standard. So right. California right. gets to set the standard for the whole country right. because it's the biggest market. So anyways, and Trump is trying to get around this. Yeah, It's going to be interesting to see how this one works out. Now, this morning we had the Labor Department's jobs report for last month come out, and it's actually a mixed bag. Only 130,000 new jobs were added in August. That's short of what economists were predicted, and it's less than yesterday's ADP Moody's private payroll sector report. But, I do, I'll never get, and I'm, I'm just not smart enough right. and haven't spent enough time studying economics, I'll never get why... Falling short of somebody's expectations right. is the fault of the thing that fell short and not a fault of your expectations. Right. right. People's, people are wrong all the time in predicting things. But huh? if you predicted it was going to be 50 and I came right. up with 47, right. I'm at fault for not meeting your prediction. You're falling short. It's always seemed weird to <laughs> yes. me. Yes. On the other hand, the wage growth has remained solid. It is up over 3% from August of last year, and the unemployment rate overall is unchanged at about 3.7%. I did see that uh, African-American unemployment rate is at an all-time low with about 5 and change percent somewhere right. in there. That's a, that's a good thing for Trump to be, you know, to whatever extent yep. he actually gets credit, but it's a good thing to tout as he's on the campaign trail. Now we have former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz saying he is not going to run for president next year. Wow, I didn't know he was still in the mix even. Well, Schultz... Is it a health thing that happened? I think I remember, he got tired of being yelled at in public. <laughs> I remember he went dark on Twitter right. a long time ago. He stopped having making any appearances. He had that big splashy opening, the 60 Minutes right. interview right. And, and all the national talk. And there were some stories that said when he got yelled at by that one guy, we probably have that clip somewhere, that one guy yelled at him for being a billionaire. Right. Um, oh, right, yeah. That really affected him. Man, you're not thick-skinned enough to run for president if one heckler at one event, like, really, oh, wait a second, I'm going to run into somebody who who doesn't agree with me? You egotistical billionaire Yeah, there's been reporting right. that that one instant, and that was like the day after he was on 60 Minutes, just really rattled him. Then I I don't think you, you're thick skinned enough for politics. Yep. Now Schultz a bit, which said, probably makes you a normal person. <laughs> Schultz says he's called himself a lifelong Democrat, but he was considering an independent run for the White House. But that's off, and a number of prominent Democrats publicly told him that a third party run for president would all but assure President Trump's reelection. That's wild. You'd think with as crazy as the politics are right now, the time would be. Would really right. be ripe for a serious third party run, and it doesn't look like we're going to have any serious third party challenger. No, especially if, what you're, if Gary Johnson comes back. <laughs> oh, hey, no. you know, especially if you're a billionaire, you can pretty much underwrite yeah. your own yeah. campaign. You, you don't even have to worry about the financing of right. it, right? All right, my friends, we've got a new study that says vegetarians may be at higher risk of stroke than people who eat meat. Yes! 
Well, I should, wait a second. I shouldn't be rooting for people to have strokes. But I'm just happy that that's bad news for vegetarians. Because <laughs> they're always lording everything over us. A study found that vegans and vegetarians have a lower chance of coronary heart disease than meat eaters, but they have a 20% higher risk of stroke. This was a study done by Oxford University. It is the first look at the risk of stroke in vegetarians. The idea or the reasons behind it are still unclear, but the Oxford University researchers say it could very well be due to very low cholesterol rates or very low levels of some nutrients in vegetarians. So by uh, you know cutting out meat, they are missing out on an essential. So you're uh, telling me a beast that has been eating meat since it uh, first came down out of the trees or swum out of the ocean, wherever we came from, yes. uh, and has got teeth clearly designed for ripping apart meat, needs that meat to be healthy. Yes. That, that would not be shocking to me. Eddie Murphy is confirming a return to stand-up comedy. Murphy uh, confirming the news on an episode of a Netflix podcast saying he's going out on the road to do some stand-up next year. Wow. Yeah, him announcing that on a Netflix podcast makes me think that they have already kind of... The, the ink isn't quite dry on some right. sort of huge stand-up deal for him. Comedians have figured out the real money is in a Netflix special. Yeah. That's yeah. that's where the modern comedy money is. As Positive Sean was uh, was uh, aiming at, uh, he's got talks with Netflix for a stand-up special. Yeah. Doesn't look like the deal is done. Yeah, but He does have like 20 kids, too, to support. Yeah. So, you know, he's got to get out there and get a job. And what he's asking for, he wants to get paid $70 million Whoa! for this stand For just one special? That's what I'm seeing. Huh? I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it'll be a... So, for like, comparison, uh, Dave Chappelle made $60 million for three stand-up specials. Right. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld got somewhere in the neighborhood of it was twenty million for the special, and then it's some other millions for the catalog of comedians and cars getting coffee. Right. But but twenty mil per special has kind of been the the high bar so right. far. Well, anyway, that's that's what I've got in the story in front of me. It's one special seventy million dollars. And now, I got uh, just before you get to that, I got around to watching Chappelle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got around to watching Seinfeld eventually. I and many other people would watch Eddie Murphy as soon as it showed up oh, to, to abs- see what he's like. Just uh, the, the the impact that his stand-up special Delirious had on me it cannot be overstated. I, I mean, yeah, yeah, there's that, and I just wonder: is he still funny? Yeah, well, he hasn't I'm, done it in forever. What's right. he thinking about? Right, exactly, yeah, exactly. And now it was the NFL season opener and the defense ruled as the Packers beat the Bears 10 to 3 at Soldier Field and inter- 10 to 3 on opening night. Yep. Wow, that's not what the NFL's hoping for. And inter- God, they've changed all the rules over the years to try to get high-scoring games in right. 10 to 3. 10 to 3. <laughs> and that's an old-school Bears Packers game. That's like what the games were like in the 70s when the I was a kid. Bowl. Exactly. <laughs> hey, somebody scored a touchdown. Yay. <laughs> and it was an interception in the end zone of the final 2 minutes. Minutes and sealed the deal. It's Adrian Amos who comes back to haunt his old team. There you go. That's and your... a three. That's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you like punting, that's the game for you. The Bears punted a lot. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. That's your news. Good tight spiral really high, and he'll take a knee. I'm we'll Mar- be back right after this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Marshall Phillips of the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. There you go. So the new iPhones that are coming out, they're bringing back the thumb button, which I'm Love happy it. to see. I, I have one on my old phone, but my wife's doesn't have it, and uh, she misses it. Michael, you said you're looking forward to the thumb button coming yes. back yeah. on the iPhone. The new glass is supposed to be practically indestructible. I'm excited about that as a guy with a lot of cracks on his right. phone. 
But uh, the, the, the case and the glass is supposed to be super indestructible. They claim battery life's going to get even better. Um, uh, most of them are uh, going to have the feature now where you can uh, charge without the wire plugging in. Oh, right. That sort of stuff. Oh, ambient charging? What's it called? I forget yeah. what it's called. I, yeah. uh, like they keep talking about cameras getting better. I, I, I don't know how much better my camera needs to get, but... Um, my, my wife's phone, which is several generations newer than mine, there's a noticeable difference. When she sends me a picture, it looks like it's from a real camera. It has that uh, unfocused background to it oh, and right. everything. It looks like a real photo. Right. Um, so that's kind of cool. But anyway, Apple will be announcing that in a couple of weeks. If you have the money for it during the Great Recession, which is coming, or is it? Neil Irwin of the New York Times says recession is not inevitable. Not inevitable. And that's coming up next on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. Take a look at the jobless rate, 3.7%. This remains near a historic generational low. About 500, more than 500,000 people entered the labor market. So these months and months and months of decent job numbers are encouraging people to come back in. So that is an important sign of, of success in the labor market right now. Some good economic news there. Uh, there's been a lot of good economic news now for a couple of years. I mean, some of it just uh, mind-blowing. Numbers that nobody thought we'd ever see. Unemployment um, uh, you know, various indexes. But a couple of weeks ago, there was some number none of us had ever heard of, the inversion point or something that happened, and the media went all crazy. <laughs> and there's been nonstop recession talk since. How likely is that to happen? And what is a recession anyway? Let's talk with Neil Irwin. He writes for The Upshot, a Times site, New York Times site for analysis of politics, economics, and more. Neil, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Glad you're here. Hi, Jack. Thanks for having me. You know, I'm going to start here. Is there anything that's reported more poorly than economic news in all of media? Well, I, I do my best that to try and, uh, and, I'm, to try no, and try and adjust for that. Well, yeah, yeah, I, no, I, don't, I don't mean people like you, just in general. It's got to drive you crazy when you see a does, big yeah. national newscast and they give you a 30-second overview of what's going on. It's often so bad you were better off having not heard it. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, this stuff's really complicated to try and do it justice. Um, you know, the simple headline is rarely going to capture the, the nuances of what's happening in a $20 trillion economy. Um, but uh, it's, uh, I, I, I share your frustration. Um, define recession for us. So uh, the uh, the official definition is uh, an extended period of, of economic contraction. Some people use a rule of thumb of two quarters of negative growth. Um, it, you know, it's it's less a specific numerical definition, more about an overall shrinking of the U.S. economy. Usually, uh, the economy grows. Uh, if it shrinks for not just a single quarter, but for some extended period of time, we lose jobs, industrial production falls. Uh, that's what a recession is. And how likely is it to happen? You uh, love your headline, recession is not inevitable. Yeah, look, it's more likely than it looked a few months ago. Um, there's no question that a lot of the economic data has softened in the last couple of months. Uh, you know, you mentioned this inversion of the yield curve, something that's happening in global bond markets seems to be uh, signaling future slow growth. 
Um, that said, it's not baked in. It's not a sure thing. Uh, this economy could easily keep growing for another one, two, five, ten years. Uh, there's no reason that can't happen. And I think what we're seeing is, um, you know, this weird thing happened in financial markets, again, this, this yield curve inversion that's making people kind of leap to conclusions that aren't necessarily warranted. Well, what about our ability to talk ourselves into a recession? I was poo-pooing that inversion thing that happened because, you know, with a little bit of Googling, I was able to find out that that um, particular number a couple of weeks ago that that's, that set this talk off um, is wrong as, as often as it's right in terms of predicting a recession real soon. But even I, with all the recession talk in the media, was starting to think, well, maybe I shouldn't buy this or that or make this plan. I worry about us talking ourselves into it. Yeah, that is a risk. There's no question that's a risk. You know, if you're and, and that's thinking in terms of consumers, think in terms of corporate executives. If you're a CFO of a company, you're trying to decide, you know, do we build this new factory? Do we, you know, hire another hundred people or not? Uh, you know, you, you can kind of talk yourself out of um, out of that. And, and that can be self-fulfilling. Um, I don't think we're seeing evidence so far that that's happening, at least on a broad scale. Uh, you know, you just mentioned the, the jobs report uh, this morning. that was pretty solid. It was decent, you know, continued growth. Um, so, you know, you can have a slowdown that's not a recession. And that seems to be what we're having so far. But as you point out in your own article that uh, consumer spending accounts for a much larger share, I'm reading from your article, consumer spending accounts for a much larger share of the economy than business investment does. And that's why I worry about us talking ourselves into it. If the media keeps hammering on this, a recession is coming, a recession is coming. And, you know, enough people say, well, maybe I won't buy that car, at least not this year, or maybe I won't remodel the bathroom. Uh, pretty soon we're we're in a tough spot. And, you know, Bill Maher's on TV saying, I hope there's a recession. A certain amount of the media is rooting for it because of their dislike of Trump. Um, I wonder if if recessions can be created in a different way in a social media, hypermedia world. It's an interesting idea. I think that's possible. Um, you know, that said, look, we've had periods of, of weak growth that did not fall on, into an all-out recession. So that happened in late 2015, early 2016, kind of similar to what we're seeing now. There was a real freeze-up in, in uh, manufacturing activity and, um, and a slump that, you know, didn't become a full-scale recession, but was a slowdown that, uh, that did cause a lot of pain in certain sectors. Um, you know, you could have that this time without it blowing, you know, bubbling up and turning into an all-out contraction. Um, but I think you're right. You know, how we communicate, how, we, um, how information is spread has changed, and there's, uh, you know, I think what you're describing is totally plausible <laughs> that's an interesting idea said neil Irwin. that's what smart people say to dumb people when they throw out something no. that makes no sense <laughs> i appreciate well, no, you, you I, pre- I hadn't thought of before i hadn't really thought that through so yeah, I'm the question. i appreciate you being that kind with my half-assed theory um so i'm just a regular guy obviously what what should i keep my eye on if if i'm actually in a position where i think maybe i shouldn't remodel the bathroom next year what what number should i be watching on a regular basis or numbers Look, there are some some indicators that are kind of real time tell you what's happening right now what's going to happen in the next couple of months uh so far those are showing okay signals so there's every week there's a uh, report on the number of uh, jobless claims people filing for unemployment insurance benefits those numbers have stayed super low uh, not a bunch of layoffs happening uh, you know there are these surveys of, of industry that, that happen every month those numbers are showing mixed signals for for manufacturing that does that has fallen into negative territory for service industries that's still in, in comfortable growth territory um, so there are a lot of real-time indicators out there that can tell you if you know are we entering a real slump or, or are things pretty much okay hey there was something in your article that, that that struck me that I've been waiting for for years. 
um, that the unemployment being low enough that employers actually actually have to start worrying about uh, you know, paying paying their employees more, having better benefits packages, uh, training whatever to keep them around because there are other options out there. Yeah, I think you look the best thing that can happen uh, for for American workers in the in the medium term is this low unemployment rate staying where it is or, or going lower still. And you know when when empl- when workers are scarce. Businesses have to do more to get good workers. They have to pay more, as you say. They also have to, you know, take chances on people they might not have taken chances on. You know, if that means, uh, you know, taking on somebody who wants more flexible hours or somebody who's disabled or is, you know, uh, coming out of prison. Um, employers are having to take chances on people they might not have in a in a weaker job market, uh, and that's just better for everybody when employers really have to compete to get workers. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, well, that's a switch from the way it's been most of my career. Neil Irwin. Writes for the Upshot, a New York Times site for analysis of politics, economics, and more. Neil, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. Yes, was, he was being very nice to me. That's an interesting idea. Why don't you get sit over there and have some pudding? Very good question, <laughs> Mr. Radio Man. <laughs> that, was, that was funny. He was good. I like that. He was good, but that is what smart people say to dumb people when they ask stupid questions. I mean, I, I recognize it. That's I'm not ashamed. Economics is not my uh, my thing. But uh, the idea that employers might be in a position for the first time in a long time where they gotta they gotta pay more, they gotta pay better benefits, they gotta pay better salary, they gotta they gotta buy new equipment, they need to invest for the long term to keep people around and to plan for the future because the economy is so good. That could be for good for everybody, like Neil Irwin said. And again, the headline is the headline: recession is not inevitable. Don't go out there and buy. Consumers, buy anything you were thinking about buying, go out and buy it today. I think that'd be fantastic for all of us. Bye, 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 bye. Thank you very much from the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty.